0: How many promises do you make in a day, in a week, in a year, in a lifetime? How many promises are you able to keep? How many promises do you break? Is it always possible to stick to a vow that we've made? When life tells us that sometimes, be it other influences, be it chance circumstances... Managing the events of life means that keeping our promises is never easy. Here's a few promises, vows that you might recognize. Put your hand up if you know them. Um, I promise that I will do my best to be true to myself and develop my beliefs to serve the Queen and my community, to help other people, and to keep the Brownie Law. There we go. Good stuff. On my honour, I promise that I will do my best to do my duty to God and the King, or to God and my country, to help other people at all times to obey the, the Scout Law. Excellent. Uh, now, B.B.'s doesn't quite have it in this form, but the object of the Boys Brigade is the advancement of Christ's kingdom among boys and the promotion of habits of obedience, reverence, discipline, self-respect, and all that tends towards a true Christian manliness. And it's, it's like a, a, a promise that Boys Brigade uh, boys would be asked to follow. In a few weeks' time, we will be welcoming new members by profession of faith and they will include this vow to follow Jesus Christ in their daily life, to be a faithful disciple in the world, to play their part in the Christian community. Many of us might recall the vows that we've taken as parents at the baptism of our children. Promising, to bring them up in the life and worship of the church. Finally, what about wedding vows? Do you recall the ones that you made? Something like, before God in the presence of families and friends, I take you to be my wife, and I promise you my love, my loyalty, and my trust. Vows, promises, promises, are everywhere in life when you think about it. School rules, the covenants of organisations that you belong to in our relationships with each other and always in our relationship with God. What we agree to be, what we agree to. To do, how we commit ourselves to the act, the loyalty that we show another, and our faithfulness to God. We make promises in different ways. I said to Katrina in the car yesterday. I was thinking about this. I said, "What about the pinky promise?" I don't know if any of you do that. Yeah. All of you know that one. Uh, we've got relatives who do that, and we always laugh at uh, a pinky promise. How's that going to make a promise last? But there are many methods of, of, of making promises. Often, taking somebody at their word isn't enough, and so a written agreement is required. Do you do, use that one at home? And when trust is seriously lacking, sometimes you need to get somebody to come and witness the the promise that has been made, the vow that has been made. The thing about promises is that we are taught from a young age, don't promise what you can't keep. But when the push comes to the shove, it isn't always easy to keep the promises, the vows that we've made even when they're made with the best of intentions. The vow that Jephthah took with God was not a sensible promise. The bargain he made with God and the outcome troubles us all. It freezes the heart as we listen to that story. It's a horrible story. A text of terror, it has been described. And there's no escaping it or no easy way to explain the story away. Perhaps it's so horrible and we might think contrary to the ways of God and to the personality of God that we might say, that story has to be made up. Can't be real, that story? Especially when we maybe recall a story, for instance, when uh, Abraham made a promise to to God. And at the very last minute, God said, the sacrifice of your son isn't required. Was it a test or what what was it? We don't know, but the sacrifice didn't happen. And then we think, well, why did it not happen for Abraham? But here for Jephthah's daughter, it it followed through to to the grimy end. There's no need, however, to read this story as factual in order to find wisdom in it because it's full of follies that we would do well to not follow in our living. If there's a lesson to be learned from this story, it's that when we don't act in the right way, we need to understand that there are consequences. We need to recognise the harm that these actions can cause. Jephthah's daughter paid with her life because Jephthah made this vow that was impulsive, that was full of bravado. The high point of his life was when he was called upon in a moment of national crisis to become a commander, and he inflicted a massive defeat on the Ammonite enemy. He went from outlaw to national hero, but in that pesterone fueled moment, he thought he was invincible, and he made that vow with God to sacrifice the first person he would meet coming home after his victory. Unbeknown to him, of course, it was to be his daughter. But that... Did not cause him to plead with God for the promise to be annulled, or indeed he didn't just break the promise. And it's a mystery, surely, for any parent here. The absurdity of what happened is a mystery that parents cannot understand. To us, God is compassionate and God is caring. God is, after all, a father himself, a father to Jesus, known as a father to us all. Where's the compassion, we might ask? I guess the whole point of the story's inclusion in the Hebrew canon was as an example of trusting in God. God here is seen entirely through the lens of a male dominated, warlike society intent on conquer. It was the Spirit of the Lord that kept Jephthah safe on his way into battle with the Ammonites. It was the Lord who gave him his power, who gave him his victory over the enemy. It was the Lord who enabled him to go through 20 towns ransacking the communities. And Jephthah's God is happy to accept a human sacrifice as a thank offering for that victory. And Jephthah carried through because this God is built on fear and power and less on compassion and care and justice. This is another one of these stories from this part of the Bible, the book of Judges, that is tricky. It's not a nice story. And we see the story as somehow showing a a God who is alien to our understanding, the New Testament's understanding, of a God who is compassionate and caring. Yet, it's a story that is so shocking that it forces us to consider the vows and the promises that we make, what they consist of, what they promise, and to whom we make them. Cecil Arthur Spring Rice, it's a long name, he's the author of that hymn that we just sang, I Vow to Thee, My Country, is a case in point. And I hope that coming right after that shocking story, I hope that you found it difficult to sing and I detected that you weren't best pleased in, in singing it. And that's good. Listen to the words. I vow to thee, my country, all earthly things, entire and whole and perfect, the service to my country of my love The love that asks no question, the love that stands the test, the love that lays upon the altar the dearest and the best, the love that never falters, the love that pays the price, the love that makes undaunted the final sacrifice. The hymn was written before the First World War, and then it was put to the music of Gustav Holt in 1921. We might call it a good-going hymn, A triumphal hymn, often used at the time of remembrance, for instance. But we might ask, is it appropriate to sing as a form of promise, of vow today, given the the light that is shed on the dangers of making promises and vows by today's story, or given what we know happened in the course of the First and Second World War and all subsequent wars, Is it appropriate to to sing about making a vow to country? The second verse counters the first, of course. Moving us away from earthly sovereignty, rule and power to the heavenly kingdom of God. The one kingdom of God. Made by God. Surely the only justifiable kingdom for us as God's followers to strive to build on earth. I think, I was thinking about this, I think that if we didn't have verse 2, I couldn't sing this hymn. Some people still don't sing it. But I think you've heard me say before that I'm okay with singing it because the second verse takes us away by way of contrast from earthly power and earthly ways to a different image of God's ways, a different vision of how God operates. And I think that we learn from that second verse that as God's followers, when we are making vows, we can only make vows that are in keeping with the standards and the personality and the character of God. Vows to country are one thing. We need to be careful to whom, to what we commit ourselves to by way of vows. Vows to the right thing, of course, are crucial. The commitment that we make to others and to the right causes, it can be so heartening to somebody when we make a promise and then we keep it. But I'm sure we also know how damaging it is when we make a promise and we don't keep it. And not only do we harm the situation by not keeping it, but we harm the trust to that other person by not keeping it. When they were maybe relying on us to do what we said we would do. Over the course of years in churches, we have seen hundreds of thousands of people committing to church membership and to faith yet the question that many have asked is why the outcome to that profession of faith ends up being absence I heard the story this week of someone in another church whose partner died and though he was a church member it was a humanist funeral In explaining to the minister, the surviving partner explained her husband actually had always been an atheist, but in order to have their child baptised, the minister of the time persuaded him to join the church or he couldn't conduct the baptism. In the same conversation, the woman who was an attending church member was lamenting the fact that in the olden days, the church role of that church was vast. Over a thousand, she said. Look at it now, minister. We're down to the mid-hundreds. And church just isn't the same. It's not as full as it once was. The minister had a hard time taking the two bits of this story together. On the one hand... That idea that people would take vows to join the church when actually their heart wasn't in it. And secondly, lamenting the fact that the role was drastically reduced and that the church was emptying, and yet the person wasn't putting the two parts of the story together. Promises, vows. They need to be taken by the heart. They need to be honestly made. Whilst being realistic and appropriate, there needs to be genuine commitment to their keeping, effort and application. Vows made, in our case, need to be in keeping with the Spirit of God. We have been taught about this God who is compassionate and who is just. The vows that we make about how we seek to follow the example of Jesus and live in the world, need to be made out of respect to God and need to be made with commitment to fulfil the promise to live like that. We will make, we will be part of, and we will be aware of many vows across our life. Today we think about loyalty to God, not the God of Jephthah, the God of the New Testament, that compassionate and just God. We recognise the importance of making and committing to the right vows. We recognise the effort that we need to put in to make sure our promises are not false or without integrity, that they are not lost sight of, nor intentionally or unintentionally consigned to that bin that we call the bin of the best laid plans, intentions and promises.